Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Today, we're happy to introduce you to Lindsay and Kemper from Industry Ventures. Lindsay is the Managing Director at Industry and focuses on originating, valuing and managing primary fund commitments and direct co-investment opportunities for the tech buyout team. Kemper is the Vice President at Industry and focuses on the firm's secondary and tech buyout investments, as well as driving business development efforts across their platform. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Lindsay Kemper, welcome to the European VC. It's super nice to have you. How are you two today? We are good. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Well, we love doing these two guest episodes. It always comes with this hassle. I need to know who to ask what first. And I want to ask you both the same question. Feel free to take it in whatever order you prefer. But my favorite question is always to start with, how the hell did you guys end up in venture? I've been in and around venture for almost eight years now. I started at a tech-focused merchant bank in New York right out of college and was lucky enough to join industry almost six years ago now. Time certainly flies. I've always been interested in tech, and so I've, I've been fortunate to have a variety of, of different exposures or careers kind of along the way. So spent time in tech investment banking, tech buyout. I've worked at a tech company into it for several years and then joined Industry Ventures about eight years ago at this point. Um, and it's just been a, a fantastic ride. And if any of our listeners, you know, and to put some context to that, European emerging managers are probably like 80% of our listeners are like <laughs> hearing Industry Ventures and like, mm, I don't know that. What is the pitch? What should they know? What should they know? Well, good question. So we've been around for uh, over 20 years now, headquartered in San Francisco, and, and Kemper and I are, are the London outpost of that. We also have offices in Washington, D.C., and active in, in a variety of different aspects kind of within the, the venture life cycle. So at the earliest stages of venture, we've been active in supporting emerging managers, seed-focused funds for the past 15 years as LPs, and then collaborating with those managers in co-invest opportunities. And then we've been uh, active on the secondary side for the past 20 years. And that's where we got our start focused on venture secondaries. More recently, we launched our fourth effort, which is focused on the small end of the tech buyout market as well, too. So everything from early stage, mid stage, late stage, and now what we call post VC. And why Europe? Good question. <laughs> so moved. I moved here about three and a half years ago. And candidly, it was driven by more of a personal move. And through industry ventures, um, saw a kind of growing ecosystem over here as, as I kind of continued to build out my relationships and got really excited about kind of what we were seeing in the market from new managers that were kind of emerging over here 
the maturity of the ecosystem as well, too, as companies have continued to grow and scale uh, a plethora of other U.S. Um, venture firms getting active over here. And, and that's where we actually brought over Kemper from our San Francisco office to join me. He leads our BD efforts to really kind of concertedly scale our exposure, both from a primary fund perspective, as well as from secondaries, where there's obviously a growing opportunity over here as that market continues to mature and actually not that many liquidity providers. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Actually, before deep diving into data, I need to ask Kemper, what are you seeing in Europe? <laughs> what excites you here? It's such an exciting time to be here. I moved over just over 18 months ago, so it's still pretty early days. We've seen such an exciting group of new talented managers funding really promising businesses across the entire continent. And to Lindsay's point, you know, I think the the secondary opportunity set over here is is massive and tremendously underserved and it's still a very inefficient part of the market. So for us, it's really exciting to be an early mover on on that side of the market as well. But I think there are great things to come for European venture. And there are now so many great proof points of amazing businesses that have scaled and exited and, and really fantastically performing funds as well. And we're going to get to hear much more about your secondaries initiatives. But let's just start with the bread and butter and especially with a lot of our, our listeners are, are very excited to hear. I think what size tickets do you guys do? Who have you backed? Who should reach out to you? That kind of, you know, that speech. To answer your first question around our, our check sizes, they do tend to be a reflection of the maturity of our relationships with the fund manager. In that, we're typically a smaller check to start, often in the two to five million dollar range. But those will typically scale over time if and when we come into subsequent funds. It is important to highlight that our kind of primary investment quantum with these funds represents a relatively small component of our overall relationship with managers. We're often helping them support their companies at the mid-stage working with them creatively around secondary structures as well. So in a lot of cases, the amount of capital that we have with a manager can eclipse our, our total primary commitment to their funds by, by several times. And then maybe just jumping in on that second question around kind of who we've backed. Um, so we're certainly excited about all the managers that we've supported here in London and look to continue to grow that cohort as well too over time. Specifically to date, we've come into Felix Capital, Kindred Capital, Angular Ventures, Chelfin Ventures, and Alert. Breach of confidential information. Alert. Breach of confidential information. A couple of those are either have been featured in the European <laughs> scene or will be featured <laughs> with recordings already scheduled. So <laughs> tune in if you're listening in <laughs> for those. But uh, you did say something there. It's quite London-centric. How come? Good question. I think that's predominantly because we're based here, honestly. And so as we've kind of continued to scale out our relationships as well, that will overall grow into Europe over time. But for us, so much of this is predicated on kind of that, that relationship element and who we know and kind of building those relationships, making sure that there's kind of a deeper collaboration there as Kemper had highlighted over time. And so all the groups that we've highlighted, we've known the GPs there for quite some time and have really great relationships with them. Does that mean that 
the guy who's sitting in Poland hearing this podcast shouldn't bother reaching out? Or how should he go about getting on your radar? We've spent a lot of time getting to know managers in different geographies over here. And I think over time that that will yield new investments in different places for us. I think we had a bit of a head start in London with Lindsay here, and the team has spent time here over the years as well. We have been making a concerted effort to figure out where our capital should go next. And, you know, I think we have some ideas about what's most exciting, but we're continuing to look at Europe broadly as a theme. And for that manager in Poland that you had highlighted, certainly encourage them to reach out. We really do love getting to know new managers and starting those relationships and, and again, building those over time. Yeah, and I think fair, it's also fair to say that the names to those who don't know them that well, I actually think that you guys were, if not in fund one of them, then in fund two in the majority of the names you mentioned there, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> Ah, that's cool. That's super cool. Okay, I think uh, we'll kick it to David on the uh, deep dive on the secondaries fund. I think more than going there, I'd love to ask you to put some more words on the running of these different strategies in parallel and the synergies that it creates, because you're basically building up a venture platform here. <laughs> I'd love to hear your description of it and how it services the GPs that that you work with. You've hit the nail on the head there. The platform approach and I think the, the interplay between our four different strategies is what gives us a unique edge in the market. We have countless examples across our portfolios of managers who we've collaborated with across all four of our different fund strategies. Because we're getting exposure to thousands of top companies at the earliest stages of venture, We have the benefit of being able to track a large percentage of these different venture cohorts and yep. to track individual businesses as they scale and mature to the point that we're intimately familiar with many of them by the time they raise mid-stage financings and we see opportunities to participate in those rounds and when we eventually see opportunities to get exposure to those companies via secondaries. Our tech buyout fund's key differentiator is similarly our ability to target companies that we think are ideally suited to a buyout exit yeah. based on many years of data and, and history with these different businesses. And we're able to do all of these things through a database that we've spent a number of years building. But I should highlight that we're not necessarily an AI-driven firm, but the data certainly gives us a leg up. The kind of real edge that we have is the relationships that we've built across the venture market. Those have generated tons of investable opportunities for us around all these different assets that we're tracking. In so many instances, we've been the first institutional capital to back different managers, as you mm -hmm. highlighted. And we've even helped certain funds launch from scratch. And that really does help us build a differentiated and enduring sort of relationship that we think is pretty unique. That same dynamic is true across the four different funds. And finally, I'd say we really pride ourselves on being creative and entrepreneurial. We've been first movers across multiple segments of the market, which means we're often a first call for funds and companies who see something unique and, and, and are thinking of us as a potential partner. And I'd underscore kind of that that relationship element that Kemper had highlighted. So We're, you know, to put it in context, we're invested in over 425 different funds that coupled with kind of our, our creativity that we love to bring to bear, 
we are just a really unique partner to our GPs, really from their early days or earliest days in terms of helping to seed some of these managers or help them literally create their funds from scratch, grow with these managers, and sometimes, you know, coming to kind of the end of the life of a fund, right? Helping them think about how do you think about either elongating that fund through restructuring the fund from a secondary perspective or winding that fund down. And so really with these managers for quite some time. You've got your Europe managers and then you've got your US-based managers, but you know, we're seeing more and more deals being done by U.S. managers in Europe as well. I'm curious, I'm guessing that many of the direct deals that you're doing is actually coming from your U.S. managers that you are joining in with. So far, that is absolutely the case because it does take time for those kind of relationships to continue to build. You know, from our direct investment perspective, usually we're coming in in, in the mid stages, Kempert highlighted. So co-investing alongside of our seed managers into kind of their companies as they get to the mid stage or reach that mid stage. Yep. And so we'll expect more co-investments or direct investments into Europe, especially as, as some of those relationships kind of both continue to scale for us and continue to mature as well. I'm actually quite curious and you're likely not to reply this and then we just edit it up. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a technical question, but do you have like different vehicles for US, Europe? Is it one vehicle for each strategy? I'd I'd love to understand that also to understand, okay, what is kind of the pitch value proposition to LPs even? Good question. So we're investing in Europe from our main funds. And so We have global exposure across our different fund strategies, but everything is always done out of our main funds. We don't have separate sleeves by geography. And I think, you know, the broader pitch to LPs or for our LPs is that, you know, we're going where kind of the venture ecosystems are emerging, right? And so predominantly the we're weighted towards uh, North America and that's really by design. And that's also, you know, given kind of our historical relationships and that in the tech ecosystem, that's where those are the strongest. And and then we've continued to branch out from there. Does that mean that uh, we'll see industry doing uh, emerging markets? <laughs> Good question. I'd say we, <laughs> we go where we feel that we have kind of a, you know, an angle or an edge as Kemper had mentioned. And so, us being here, I think, is a huge benefit. It gives us an opportunity, again, to cultivate relationships, meet new managers, really understand the ecosystem and some of the most exciting companies coming out of Europe, um, where it's tough to do that without necessarily feet yeah. on the street. Do you find yourself having to deal with allocation of capital to the U.S. versus Europe and having to kind of internally, you know, make make those decisions, okay, where are we going to deploy capital and how do you manage that internally? It's a good question and, and certainly one that we discuss frequently in terms of figuring out kind of where do we want to place our capital and kind of where are we seeing the greatest opportunity as well too. And I think that's, you know, we kind of take those in conjunction with one another and really try to solve for where's the most interesting opportunities and where do we have yeah. an advantage right in those opportunities. We're seeing more and more LPs that have a very active co-investment strategy. And I'd love to hear your take on how do managers position themselves the best for someone like you. There are many things that they can do to be most accommodating to LPs with that interest. In terms of what we look for in managers, um, having a large co-invest opportunity set is certainly a key component of the relationship. We do find that because we only invest in smaller funds, 
which we define as sub $250 million vehicles, often significantly smaller than that, especially around our first investment. There is this organic opportunity for us to help them support their businesses as they hit kind of inflection around the series B, C, or even D. So I think because of the nature of the fund that we're backing, there inevitably are significant co-invest opportunities for us. And to your point, there are other LPs with a lot of co-investment appetite these days. What we see and what we continue to hear from our managers is that there aren't too many who can move really quickly, who know the company by the time the opportunity pops up. In our case, we actually know what the one, two, three companies are per fund that we want to co-invest into. And we're very vocal with our, our managers about our desire to see those <laughs> rounds uh, when there's there's excess capacity. I was well described, Kimber. <laughs> I, think, I think that's actually something that is very fair to state very clearly as well. When you have, I don't know if we should maybe shouldn't call it an activist LP, but an LP with that very strong interest, then you're also bringing on a responsibility there. And if you don't make sure to accommodate the LP, then you're likely not to see any money coming for your next fund. Am I correct in putting it like that? You know, we don't really think about it necessarily in that lens. Um, I know certain other LPs are, are really kind of pound the table for co-invest. I'd say we do look, though, for funds that are excited about kind of a collaboration with us and in terms of what Kemper had highlighted. And usually these smaller funds do run out of their ability to continue to follow along right into their top performing companies. And again, that usually is around kind of the Series B or they're looking for a partner that can be collaborative with them. For example, we've helped our managers lead rounds where they need an external lead to come in and price that. And we can serve that function as well too. As Kemper had highlighted, a lot of LPs aren't necessarily positioned to move really quickly, right, on these opportunities. And as you guys know, sometimes these rounds can come together pretty quickly. And so we are able to react really quickly, either positively or, or highlight that this one's not a fit for us, but get that feedback back yeah. to yeah. our GPs yeah. really fast so that they also are reacting yeah. equally as, as quickly as an investor in the companies. Yeah. So we're doing a syndicate into Acrobat Ventures who have a very strong strategy bias towards the LPs partaking in follow-on investments. And that also means that since they've built their fund around that, they also have a predetermined setup as to how they, um, you know, the terms on which you participate in those co-investments. I'd love to hear your reflections, not on Acrobat, but on that strategy, because, you know, that also means that there's a vehicle that's being set up, but there's also a management fee or a carry fee that's being applied. How do you think about that? Yeah, really good question. And, you know, what you're highlighting is not too dissimilar to a number of opportunity funds, right, that have formulated more specifically right across a number of kind of, you know, smaller strategies. Because to your point, there is kind of this growing appetite, right, for co-invest or for, for kind of access, right, is really what it is. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen some of these opportunity funds actually tap out of their ability to continue, right, and, and select companies as well, too, where they may be too small in size. And so we've actually stepped in, in certain instances there to participate where those funds weren't able to any longer as well. I'd say from a fee carry perspective, we kind of take it case by case. 
yeah. as well in terms of you know assessing those. I'm going to shift topic now just because it's something we don't talk a lot about here and I am personally very interested in it, which is secondaries. Since it's something that we don't talk that much and I don't hear many people talking that much in Europe still, I'd love to ask you a very broad question to start with, which is, you know, what do you guys see happening right now? And obviously, specifically in Europe, but also what are you hoping to see? What are you expecting? What are your kind of predictions to some extent of the development of the secondaries market in, uh, in venture in Europe? Yeah, no, really good questions. And I'd say, you know, stepping back, looking at kind of the secondary market more broadly over really over the time that we got started in it, you know, 22 years ago, it was incredibly nascent, pretty much non-existent, right? <laughs> when when we came into it and our whole fund was born out of the dot-com crash where our founder Han saw an interesting opportunity to buy venture portfolios from corporates that were incredibly distressed at the time. Realized that there's actually an interesting market around that. And that secondary ecosystem has continued to scale meaningfully over the past 22 years, and especially over the, you know, call it the past five to 10 years. To put it into context, last year alone, we estimated that there was over 85 billion of venture secondary deal value. And that's largely being driven by um, companies staying private for longer. You know, there's over 1,100 different unicorns today, and that has a, you know, a combined value of just under $4 trillion. And that really is kind of driving the growing need here for liquidity solutions. So that can be, you know, employees and founders that have a substantial amount of their own net worth tied up into their companies and are looking for some small amount of liquidity to, to kind of continue to, to finance their own needs. It could be early investors who have been kind of strong supporters of the company from oftentimes day one um, and have substantial paper markups, but are looking for some DPI, right, to give back to their own LPs um, to allow them to raise their next funds. It also includes actually LPs that have been in, in venture funds, right, for perhaps, you know, upwards of 15 years. And those venture funds themselves are kind of no longer core relationships for them. And they're looking to kind of exit those funds prior to kind of the fund being wound down. And so, this ecosystem has kind of continued to scale for us. We're one of the, the kind of few venture secondary groups that is investing both into companies directly, and that includes, you know, buying out existing shareholders on the cap table, and then also coming into venture funds. So buying out LP interests in those funds, again, with a real focus on gaining access to some of the best leading late stage venture backed businesses. As we think about you know, where is, is that market going? I'm sure Kemper would echo it, but I think we're actually headed for one of the most exciting secondary markets that we perhaps have ever witnessed, right? Just given kind of where we are in the market cycle. There's certainly similarities to some of the prior downturns we've seen kind of over the course of our, our history here. But what I'd highlight as a whole is actually the venture market is much more mature than it was, you know, in, in the great financial crisis and certainly kind of where yeah. it was in the dot-com crash. And so I think, you know, there's an interesting time ahead as well. And so we think that there's going to be a number of motivated sellers that will continue to emerge. That obviously includes LPs, right, that continue to face um, the denominator effect. 
It could include corporate investors, right? So there's been a proliferation of capital coming into the venture ecosystem from corporates. And as they kind of shift back to really their core strategies, oftentimes they'll think about, you know, winding down or reducing their corporate exposure. It can include hedge funds and mutual funds, right? So especially as the the IPO window is, is currently shut and exits are elongating, you know, oftentimes they'll exit those private positions. And more broadly, we've certainly seen kind of public investors, right, rotating out of tech currently. And that can also include employees as they exit their existing companies, right, may face a a pretty substantial cost to exercise those options that they have. That will also be an interesting element. That's certainly kind of more broadly and same dynamics here in Europe. I'd say, you know, really exciting opportunity, both in the near term, but also over the long term, right? Obviously, as as I mentioned before, and as Kemper has highlighted, one of the things that gets us really excited about this ecosystem is kind of how it's continued to mature, right? So over 40 new unicorns here and in 2021, that over doubled, you know, from the prior year. And there's just a lot of really interesting companies. And to what you had mentioned earlier, not too many players right here in the in the secondary market where secondaries has become a bit more, I guess, efficient, right? In the in the US, where there are a number of participants. Here, there's not yet. And, you know, this greenfield opportunity is something that we're particularly excited about. And, you know, as the venture ecosystem continues to mature, the liquidity component of that is actually a really important element, right, to continue to foster that growth as well. So near term, really excited about what we see, given kind of the current market situation, long term, especially as it relates to Europe, um, I think it's a, a really yep. interesting opportunity. Yep. Could you guys maybe, because... It's not that often that we have secondary players on the show, and and it's also not in your that common to meet secondary players in in at your scale. So I'd love to hear a bit about how you think about you know your portfolio strategy. What's the kind of percentages that you're looking for? Because it's a very opportunistic play to be a secondary player. I'd love to hear how you think about the strategy behind a secondaries fund. Lindsay did a great job in sort of covering who we work with and what type of company we look for. So happy to try and tackle a little bit more about how we think about where we are in the cycle and how that impacts where we're investing from a structural perspective. As Lindsay mentioned, this is our longest running strategy at the firm. Our founder, Hans, was really a pioneer in developing this market back in 2000. The strategy today is is a reflection of 22 years of learnings and investing across multiple market cycles. One of the things that we've learned is that it is really important to be able to play across various secondary structures in different parts of the cycle because the market presents different levels of risk and opportunity kind of depending on on where we are. So if you look back at our different funds that we've invested over the years, the mix shift of structures within those funds does ebb and flow based on where where we see the most opportunity. To your point, it's sort of an opportunistic approach to the segment. What we care most about is getting exposure to what we think are the best late stage companies. We're generally agnostic in terms of, of how we get that exposure from a structural perspective. In a bull market, LP interests might look like a really attractive way to go buy exposure to a a basket of unicorns that are going to IPO in the next few years. 
there are a lot of reasons um, why that particular structure is, is interesting in certain markets. I think in this type of environment, we will start to see more direct secondary activity. You know, I think a lot of the non-traditional investors who have been really active in our market over the last five years during what's been a kind of historic run-up will probably start to pull back, particularly from secondaries. So I think we may start to see a bit of value return to the direct side of the market. On the fund interest side of the market, you know, I think there are a lot of very high marks that will take a number of quarters, if not years, to start to kind of tick down to where these businesses would exit in this type of environment. Perhaps more detailed than, than what you asked for in the question, but I think, you know, as it relates to Europe, we are seeing a lot of parallels in this market relative to what we've seen play out in the U.S. over many years. And as Lindsay highlighted, it's still a very inefficient market over here. But given the number of very mature businesses and the amount of LP capital that's flowed into European funds or U.S. funds that hold European assets, I think there is this growing need for a specialist liquidity provider here. And we're really excited to try and play a, a small part in that development. I'm super curious because... <laughs> One tends to say that the U.S. market, it goes up quicker and it goes down quicker. <laughs> so that also means that it's typically a couple of months or a bit more ahead of the European market. And I can only imagine that you guys see that very, very visibly across your portfolio. But I also imagine that that also means that you oftentimes find yourself reaching out to do a secondary deal in, in Europe. And then they think that you got to be crazy. We're not there yet. <laughs> that That is not the price that we are worth. And you're like, nah, but you're going to be in a couple of months. <laughs> Tell me, uh, how do you see this? Even more broadly, right? That's over the first quarter and into the second quarter, we've been really slow from a deployment perspective on our secondary strategy. And that's because, you know, valuations still haven't necessarily come to reflect perhaps this new normal the public valuations obviously drop much quicker than what you see typically on the private side. And so I think that bid ask spread is still pretty wide currently. So I'd say, you know, that actually is the sentiment really across both the U.S. and European markets. As valuations start to reflect kind of the new normal, I think that's where secondary deal activity will pick up. I'm really curious, and this is me like showing my lack of knowledge. <laughs> I'm really curious of the motivations that leads, you know, the owners of those stakes to want that liquidity. And what are you guys seeing? Because I find that super interesting. You know, Andres and I are geeks. We love the LP side. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just trying to do my little master or crash course here with you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I, I'd say there are a wide variety of motivations for limited partners specifically to seek liquidity for their holdings. Lindsay touched on the denominator effect. That's been a, a pretty significant driver of of sale decisions by LPs yeah. over the last quarter. Obviously, if you're a multi-strategy LP, your, your public book is the first component of your portfolio that will reflect a, a broad change in value in the market. Your private book will take many quarters to remark itself. Many of these LPs have target exposures by asset class. And what we've seen is for a lot of LPs, their private books are now significantly overweight as their public books have traded off. Mm. So some of them will actually need to look to reduce those positions. We've seen a lot of opportunistic selling in recent years as well. I think secondaries maybe 10 years ago weren't necessarily a universal liquidity valve within the venture market. 
It was something that people typically pursued when they needed to. That isn't really the case anymore. You know, I think there are a lot of LPs who will regularly sell down positions in older funds to fund new commitments, to capture value that they see in those marks, whatever it may be. It's kind of become this sticky part of the market that's a little bit better accepted by the different stakeholders in venture. You know, obviously we're in a very different environment right now where I think we will see more people selling because they need to rather than because it's part of their yeah. portfolio management strategy. When you do take over uh, an LP's holding in a, uh, in a fund, then you're also taking over the relationship. But I'm guessing that there's a big difference between how you treat or think about your secondary LP ownerships and then the funds that you commit to as, uh, as a primary. It actually can be, be hand in hand. We do see secondary opportunities in our emerging yeah. managers. And oftentimes that'll come in kind of their funds two or funds three, where, you know, from their fund, the secondary being in kind of the, the fund one, where perhaps it's comprised heavily of friends and family, which yeah. is usually the case, right, with with fund ones. And perhaps those friends and family had kind of over allocated, right, yeah. or, you know, wanted to be helpful at the time and they love it, but they're like, well, wait a second, you know, I don't know if we can can manage kind of a, a fund two, fund three commitment. Yeah. In conjunction with our emerging manager strategy focused at the seed end, we will do secondaries. That's actually about 20% of what we do out of those I funds. And then what we'll do is um, come into their subsequent funds, right? So it's once we've underwritten that manager, the, the secondary is really an opportunity for us to get kind of further exposure yeah. to that manager and companies or a portfolio that's that much further along. And uh, we view it as kind of, you know, a, a way to kind of provide that continuity of relationship as well, too. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it can go hand in hand, whereas, you know, usually a secondary investor or LP wouldn't necessarily be considered, yeah. you know, in the yeah. same lens. You're talking about these liquidity challenges on the LP side, but something that we haven't spoken about, and I'm really curious to hear your your thoughts or even, you know, what you think is interesting there is, you know, when, when we're talking about emerging managers going fund one, fund two, fund three, there's also some liquidity concerns there often, <laughs> right? I don't think you guys are have a strategy leveraging that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts and what you're seeing as well on that front. Yeah, we've worked with a number of general partners to help them think creatively around monetizing their carry or personal investments in their own funds. Venture is a long duration asset class. Many LPs in year 15 are probably surprised when there's still a lot of value left in a fund. GPs would pursue liquidity for the same reasons, yeah. particularly those that have been very successful in their early funds where they've had a lot of winners, but perhaps haven't necessarily gotten into the carry on their fund one or their fund two. By that time, their fund three or their fund four may be very large and their personal investment into those funds might become pretty significant. So it, it's not necessarily a new part of our market, but we have seen a lot more activity around GP secondaries. Uh, but it's also a natural expression of the type of managers, right? Because at least in Europe, it was very much private equity, guys. Okay, well, <laughs> do I need to flesh out a million? Okay, I think I can manage. <laughs> you had a 30-year-old guy who has done a couple of startups, none of them really hit the big success, but they got a lot of learnings and off the back of that could build a fund, you know? They don't necessarily have the ability to meet GB commit for fund two or three and so on. So yeah, it is an expression of that as well. Yeah, very interesting. 
We always round off our episodes with a quick fire round. The quick fire round is when we ask a couple of quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Lindsay Kemper, are you guys ready? I sure hope so. (laughs) (laughs) First question of the quick fire round. And Lindsay, I'm going to forward this one to you, which is in venture, generally speaking, what areas excite you the most that maybe other people around you don't feel that excited about? I mean, I come back to kind of that that earlier conversation. I think it's the market right now, right? In terms of we have always kind of built our, our platform around kind of looking around the corner, understanding what's going on in, in the ecosystem and coming into these markets where others may not see opportunity. And so in this current environment, we, as I mentioned, see a, a really interesting opportunity as it relates to our secondary strategies. Actually, we have, as I mentioned earlier on, this post-VC strategy, our tech buyout fund, where we're really looking to kind of capitalize on this growing cohort of companies, venture-backed companies that are exiting to buyout funds. And we see that continuing to grow. And actually, with this current market environment, as a number of our own venture-backed companies are continuing to preserve kind of cash to manage between rounds and drive kind of closer towards profitability, a lot of these companies then all of a sudden look very attractive to buyout funds as well, too. And I think so as a result of kind of this current environment, that cohort of venture-backed companies exiting ultimately to buyout funds is going to continue to scale for us. And so I'd say that actually gets us particularly excited and probably not where where most are. Yeah. <laughs> <up and down. laughs> Kemper, say, same question. Anything you'd like to add? I agree wholeheartedly with, with Lindsay. This is, this is one of the most exciting times for us as a firm, I think perhaps in our history. I know that a lot of folks in our market probably don't feel the same way, but not just us. I think most folks have, have seen some sort of reset coming for a while now, and, and it's probably healthy to some degree. But for us, it's going to create a massive opportunity set. And then even stepping back from that, I think there, you know, some of the best vintages, full stop, really across kind of the the private equity and venture asset class have come out of, you know, markets with kind of dislocation. And so as it relates to our early stage strategy, right, focused on emerging managers, I think folks that can lean in during these times really do well. Even from those efforts, I think we're really excited because I think this correction is kind of, you know, overdue. Yeah. Second question, and this one, Kemper, I'll direct at you first, which is top tips for emerging VCs out there. And if possible, let's uh, focus on the European ones. You know, I think fundraising is a storytelling exercise and focusing on what differentiates you in the market is really important. It's tough to try to think of any sort of secret weapons for fundraising. (laughs) Every strategy is a little bit different. Every manager knows their own strengths knowing how to highlight those and convince LPs that they make you different is really key. You know, I think second, the venture asset class is a very relationship-driven one. The GPLP uh, dynamic within venture is no different. Mm-hmm. Building enduring relationships with LPs takes time. I think you can get a real leg up with warm introductions to limited partners from someone who they've invested in in the past or, or who they trust. It can give you, I think, a real head start in, in their own process. And finally, I think focusing on, on limited partners who have a history of backing emerging managers or managers in your segment, people who really get what you're doing is important too. There are a lot of large institutions out there with venture exposure. For emerging managers, it is a different part of the market 
the number of LPs who will spend time there is, is a lot smaller. Lindsay, anything you'd like to add on these top tips for emerging VCs? Fundraising is always a, it's a journey, <laughs> right? And be patient with yourselves. I think um, as it relates to Europe, I think that it is becoming a lot more attractive, right? To come into Europe largely because this whole ecosystem has continued yeah. to grow and scale. And I think that wasn't necessarily the case, you know, going back, call it five years ago, where there's, you know, a piece of the story that is around kind of convincing LPs that that Europe is where it's going, right? Or where the, yeah. the venture ecosystem's going. I think that it's here, right? There's been, as Kemper mentioned, a number of proof points. Although fundraising is a journey and it, it can be challenging at times, take heed that like there, you know, you're in a really great market and um, there's a lot of opportunity and, and you'll get there. <laughs> Third and final question. And this one I will not direct, so I'll let you uh, fight for it, <laughs> which is what can we expect in the future from industry ventures? You know, I think right now we're really focused on scaling and optimizing our platform and team. We do have this kind of long history of, of looking around corners to see what's coming in our markets. I think today we feel like we have good comprehensive coverage across the venture ecosystem through our four strategies. So I think it's just focusing on, on what we're doing today and making sure we're capturing the opportunities that will inevitably pop up in the market. Yeah, we're, we're just super excited about kind of what we're seeing here, especially in Europe, right? Continue to look forward to building new relationships, backing some really exciting emerging managers, continuing to gain you know exposure through both co-invest and secondaries into some of the most exciting companies over here and, and really delighted with kind of how, how this market has been positioned and how we're in it, right? Absolutely. Kimber and Lindsay, thanks so much for joining us. And Lindsay, thank you for having your life, bringing you to Europe so that uh, you end up bringing industry and Kemper with you as well. Exactly. <laughs> thanks a million, guys. It was awesome having you. Thank you again, guys, for having us. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.